The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Baskerville Hall, October 13th. My dear Holmes, the longer one stays here, the more does the spirit of the moor sink into one's soul, its vastness and also its grim charm. When you are once out upon its bosom, you have left all traces of modern England behind you. Let me bring you up to date with the facts as they currently stand. One of these concerning which I have said little is the escaped convict upon the moor. There is strong reason now to believe that he has got right away, and the outlying farmers sleep the better in consequence. I confess that I have had uneasy moments when I have thought of the Stapletons. They live miles away from any help. They would be helpless in the hands of a desperate fellow like this Notting Hill criminal if he could once effect an entrance. Both Sir Henry and I were concerned at their situation, and it was suggested that Perkins, the groom, should go over to sleep there, but Stapleton would not hear of it. He came over to call upon Baskerville on that first day, and the very next morning he took us both to show us the spot where the legend of the wicked Hugo is supposed to have had its origin. Sir Henry was much interested and asked Stapleton more than once whether he really did believe in the possibility of the interference of the supernatural in the affairs of men. He spoke lightly, but it was evident that he was very much in earnest. On our way back, we stayed for lunch at Merripit House, and it was there that Sir Henry made the acquaintance of Miss Stapleton. From the first moment that he saw her, he appeared to be strongly attracted by her, and I am much mistaken if the feeling was not mutual. Since then, hardly a day has passed that we have not seen something of the brother and sister. One would imagine that such a match would be very welcome to Stapleton, and yet I have more than once caught a look of the strongest disapprobation in his face when Sir Henry has been paying some attention to his sister. By the way, your instructions to me never to allow Sir Henry to go out alone will become very much more onerous if a love affair were to be added to our other difficulties. My popularity would soon suffer if I were to carry out your orders to the letter. One other neighbour I have met since I wrote last. This is Mr. Frankland of Laughter Hall. He is an elderly man, red-faced, white-haired, and choleric. His passion is for the British law, and he has spent a large fortune in litigation. Sometimes he will shut up a right-of-way and defy the parish to make him open it. At others, he will with his own hands tear down some other man's gate and declare that a path has existed there from time immemorial, defying the owner to prosecute him for trespass. He is curiously employed at present, for, being an amateur astronomer, he has an excellent telescope with which he lies upon the roof of his own house and sweeps the moor all day in the hope of catching a glimpse of the escaped convict. And now let me end on that which is most important and tell you more about the Barrymores, and especially about the surprising development of last night. First of all, about the test telegram. I told Sir Henry how the matter stood, and he at once, in his downright fashion, had Barrymore up and asked him whether he had received the telegram himself. I did, sir. Did the boy deliver it into your own hands? Oh, no, sir. I was in the box room at the time, and my wife brought it up to me. Did you answer it yourself? No, sir. I told my wife what to answer, 
and she went down to write it. In the evening, Barrymore recurred to the subject of his own accord. Sir Henry, I could not quite understand the object of your questions this morning. I... I trust that they do not mean that I have done anything to forfeit your confidence. Sir Henry had to assure him that it was not so and pacify him by giving him a considerable part of his old wardrobe, the London outfit having now all arrived. I have always felt that there was something singular and questionable in this man's character, but the adventure of last night brings all my suspicions to a head. You are aware that I am not a very sound sleeper, and since I have been on guard in this house, my slumbers have been lighter than ever. Last night, about two in the morning, I was aroused by a stealthy step passing my room. I rose, opened my door, and peeped out. A long black shadow was trailing down the corridor. It was thrown by a man who walked softly down the passage with a candle held in his hand. I could merely see the outline, but his height told me that it was Barrymore. I waited until he had passed out of sight, and then I followed him. When I came round the balcony, he had reached the end of the farther corridor, and I could see from the glimmer of light through an open window that he had entered one of the rooms. I crept down the passage as noiselessly as I could and peeped round the corner of the door. Barrymore was crouching at the window with a candle held against the glass. His face seemed to be rigid with expectation as he stared out into the blackness of the moor. For some minutes, he stood watching intently. Then he gave a deep groan, and with an impatient gesture, he put out the light. I knew that Barrymore walked about nights, and I had a mind to speak to him about it. I wonder if he pays a visit every night to that particular window. If so, we should be able to shadow him and see what it is that he is after. I wonder what your friend Holmes would do if he were here. I believe that he would do exactly what you now suggest. He would follow Barrymore and see what he did. Then we shall do it together. We'll sit up in my room tonight and wait until he passes. I take your leave until then. Uh, Sir Henry, might I ask if by any chance you are going on the moor? As a matter of fact, I am. <sighs> well, you know what my instructions are. My dear fellow, Holmes, with all his wisdom, did not foresee some things which have happened since I have been down here. <laughs> you understand me? I am sure that you are the last man in the world who would wish to be a spoil sport. I must go out alone. Of course, I knew instantly that our friend referred to Miss Stapleton. It put me in a most awkward position. I was at a loss what to say or what to do, and before I had made up my mind, he picked up his cane and was gone. But quickly my conscience reproached me bitterly for having on any pretext allowed him to go out of my sight. I set off at once along the road, in the direction of Merripit House, until I came to the point where the moor path branches off. Thence I saw him at once. He was on the moor path about a quarter of a mile off, and a lady was by his side who could only be Miss Stapleton. It was clear that there was already an understanding between them and that they had met by appointment. They had halted on the path and were standing deeply absorbed in their conversation and I was suddenly aware that I was not the only witness of their interview. A wisp of green floating in the air caught my eye 
and another glance showed me that it was carried on a stick by a man who was moving among the broken ground. It was Stapleton with his butterfly net. He was running wildly towards them, his absurd net dangling behind him. He gesticulated and almost danced with excitement in front of the lovers. What the scene meant, I could not imagine. But it seemed to me that Stapleton was abusing Sir Henry, who offered explanations, which became more angry as the other refused to accept them. The lady stood by in haughty silence. Finally, Stapleton turned upon his heel and beckoned in a peremptory way to his sister, who, after an irresolute glance at Sir Henry, walked off by the side of her brother. Deeply ashamed to have witnessed so intimate a scene without my friend's knowledge, I ran down the hill and met him at the bottom. Hello. What? Did you see him come out on us? Did he ever strike you as being crazy? I can't say that he ever did. Well, I always thought him sane enough until today. But you can take it from me that either he or I ought to be in a straitjacket. What was I doing with the lady? How dared I offer her attentions which were distasteful to her? Did I think that because I was a baronet I could do what I liked? I lost my temper too. And I answered him rather more hotly than I should perhaps. Just tell me what it all means, Watson. And I'll owe you more than ever I can hope to pay. I tried one or two explanations, but indeed I was completely puzzled myself. And now I pass on to another thread which I have extricated out of the tangled skein. The mystery of the sobs in the night, of the tear-stained face of Mrs. Barrymore, of the secret journey of the butler to the western lattice window, all these things have by one night's work been thoroughly cleared. I sat up with Sir Henry in his rooms, smoking cigarettes without making the least sound. It was incredible how slowly the hours crawled by. One struck, and two. And we had almost given it up in despair, when in an instant we both sat bolt upright in our chairs. We had heard the creak of a step in the passage. We were just in time to catch a glimpse of the tall, black-bearded figure as he passed through the same door as before, and the light of the candle framed it in the darkness and shot one single yellow beam across the gloom of the corridor. When at last we reached the door and peeped through, we found him crouching at the window, candle in hand, his white, intent face pressed against the pane, exactly as I had seen him two nights before. What are you doing here, Barrymore? Nothing, sir. Nothing. It was the window, sir. I, I, I go round that night to see that they are fastened. Come now. No lies. What were you doing at that window? I was doing no harm, sir. I was holding a candle to the window. And why were you holding a candle to the window? Don't ask me, Sir Henry. Don't ask me. It is not my secret, and I cannot tell it. You must have been holding it at the window as a signal. Right, let us see if there was any answer. Ah, there it is. A light in the black. No, no, sir, it is nothing. Nothing at all, I assure you, sir. Move your light across the window, Watson. See, the other moves also. Now, you rascal, do you deny that it is a signal? Come, speak up. It is my business, sir, and not yours. I will not tell. 
that you leave my employment right away. Your family has lived with mine for over a hundred years under this roof. <laughs> and here I find you deep in some dark plot against me. No, no, sir, no, not against you. We, we have to go, Eliza. This is the end of it. You can pack our things. Oh, John, John, have I brought you to this? Oh. It is my doing, Sir Henry, all mine. He has done nothing except for my sake and because I asked him. Speak out, then. What does it mean? My unhappy brother is starving on the moor. We cannot let him perish at our very gates. <sighs> the light is a signal to him that food is ready for him, and his light out yonder is to show the spot to which to bring it. Then your brother is... The escaped convict, sir. <sighs> Seldom. The criminal. And he is my younger brother. We humored him too much when he was a lad and gave him his own way in everything until he came to think that the world was made for his pleasure and that he could do what he liked in it. From crime to crime he sank lower and lower until it is only the mercy of God which has snatched him from the scaffold. But to me, sir, he was always the little curly-headed boy that I had nursed and played with as an elder sister would. When he dragged himself here one night, weary and starving, with the warders hard at his heels, what could we do? We took him in and fed him and cared for him. Then you returned, sir, and my brother thought he would be safer on the moor than anywhere else until the hue and cry was over. So he lay in hiding there. That is the whole truth, as I am an honest Christian woman. And you will see that if there is blame in the matter, it does not lie with my husband, but with me, for whose sake he has done all that he has. Well, Barrymore, I cannot blame you for standing by your own wife. Forget what I have said. Yes, sir. Go to your room, you two. And we shall talk further about this matter in the morning. The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 